a summary, a review, a spoiler review, ratings, what else we're consuming, plugs, next episode's book. So, welcome to episode 14 um, of the Audiobook Club. Um, today, uh, myself, Jason Jerky, will be hosting. And I will be covering the book Blubberinian. Or, uh, was it the Evening Redness? I can't remember what the surname is. The second bit is. <laughs> evening Redness in the West. Or the, or the Evening Redness yeah. in the West. Oh I, thought I, oh, I think I've read the wrong book. I think I thought we were doing paint your way. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that's what we'll be covering today. Uh, probably a slight jump from the last book, as I sort of said. Um, so brief sort of summary of the book. Um, story seems to follow uh, a character called the Kid, whose name we never learn. Um, and over the sort of course of the book, we follow the kid and his sort of adventures through the West and through Mexico and a gang and shall we say some of his friends. <laughs> so why did I pick this book? Um, I sort of mentioned last time around um, I had read The Road by Cormac McCarthy and I just felt like everybody was saying about how this was his big sort of magnum opus and I really wanted to give it a go. Um, so yeah. I'll, I'll read through the guesses here. So Stephen's guess was uh, the main characters traveling west, lots of bandits and shooting. Imagine Django, someone like Dr. King Schultz. It's about a bounty hunter in the old west. Hey, that's that's, that's not my, my way to die. <laughs> oh, that's not bad. Johnny. <laughs> not a million ways to die Johnny in the west. said uh, yeah. it's about a lone wolf character wandering the west, doesn't know his place or where he belongs, finds something he cares about. And then Johnny sort of likened to the Hound in Game of Thrones, um, who initially was full of hatred, but then he sort of, sort of finds a community who then gets massacred, so then he's out for revenge. Um, and then finally, Michael. Uh, so Michael sort of prefaced his guess by saying that he had also read The Road by Cormac McCarthy. Um, so then Michael's guess was that it was set in the Old West, it's about a haggard, old, retired-ish sheriff who's hung up his gun, he's out of practice, and there's some outlaws come to this town to cause a ruckus. So it's sort of like a revenge story. Not a happy one or a resolution that favours the, the protagonist and is somewhat bittersweet at the end. So, who here wants to claim they were the closest? It's got to be me, right? I think it was Stephen. You reckon? Mm, probably Stephen. I don't know. Oh, don't, don't the Jason Church I mean... I don't think any of us were particularly. These are all pretty terrible, to be honest. Yeah, all pretty. I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, honestly, not a <laughs> I was sort of leaning towards Michael purely because of how he sort of finished it with like not a happy one or like a re- not a good resolution that sort of favours the protagonist. Um, which was, if anything, is pretty spot on. <laughs> 
I think it's because I've, I, you know, as I said before, my guess I had read the road, so I knew it was going to be a bit nihilistic. I know, and that's almost why I didn't want to give it to you, because I think it was a pretty good guess, yeah. purely based on reading one of his previous books. Um, but yeah, I suppose then we're going to have to go with Stephen in that case. You know, main characters traveling west. If you want to pick Michael, whatever, uh, like, I'll, I I think, think, I'll accept I the think, judgment. I think Michael even himself is arguing himself out of it. He's only guessed that because he's read the road. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he's not guessed it on the cover. He's just guessed it on his previous Cormac McCarthy book. Um, so I'm going, I'm going to get to Stephen. Stephen was right. Main characters traveling right. the west. <laughs> of course, Stephen, Michael. Stephen wasn't right. He was the least wrong. That's the least wrong. <laughs> I mean, he was the least wrong. <laughs> and I'll take that as a win. Um, as you should. <laughs> So then I suppose it... I've caught you, Michael, on the scores. <laughs> All caught up. Let me check the scores here. I, I have no idea what so the scores Stephen are. Stephen and Michael on three, Johnny on two. That looks good. Jonathan? I, I think Jonathan was one on that one stage. So. I was I was two up, but I've won the first two. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I peaked. I haven't got the guess yet, so... You <laughs> peaked too soon, eh? Fair enough, I just, yeah. just, just knew I'd done like two books, haven't you? And like th- we knew what was. Done three and already knew what two of them were, yeah. And then I picked this uh, one. Too. So this this one's your own one, so you can do it. So ah. well, maybe Michael's next one might be a good one for guessing. So fingers crossed. Uh, so now we'll then jump into the review. Um, probably we'll just go straight to spoiler territory, to be honest. Um, so I'll just give you like a bit of a sort of summary the first couple of chapters and we have a little chat about that um i said a little summary is probably massive but anyways um story begins uh sort of titling about the kids his mom dies in childbirth his dad's a drinker does speaks lots of poetry um once the kid reaches 14 he runs away to new orleans um on his way there he gets shot in the back and nursed back to health and then he goes to texas why is he's in texas he attends a sermon uh, while he's in this sermon, a certain character we meet for the first time called Judge Holden enters the sermon and makes false accusations against the reverend, reverend which leads to lots of violence. Um, at this stage, the reverend calls the judge the devil. Then the kid meets a character called Tovine, and together they initially have a bit of a fight, and then they attack a character called Sydney, and they burn down a hotel and flee. As they're fleeing, they sort of see the judge on the way out of the town, and... Uh, the judge is sort of smiling at them. After that, you know, the kid uh, stays with a, quite a racist hermit. Um, he then just sort of travels down to Mexico. He then attacks a Mexican bartender, I think, after the bartender refuses to serve him some alcohol. Um, he meets a Sergeant Tramel, who wants him to come to Mexico to fight, uh, along with Captain White's gang. Uh, kid and two friends sort of then tag along. So they cross the desert with Captain White. People are dying. Um, about 10 days into this, they see a herd of cattle. They're attacked by some uh, Comanche Indians, or Native Americans, as we probably should say now. Uh, and then at this stage, the living and the dead are scalped by the Indians. The bodies are hacked up. They're pulling out the organs, pulling out the viscera, the genitals. Thankfully, the kid survives. Uh, he meets a character called Sproul, who's part of Captain White's party. As him and Sproul are sort of walking, um, Sproul's got quite an infected arm, I believe. Um, on their way, they actually see a bush um, with lots of babies impaled onto this bush. Um, 
they come through a destroyed village um, and the stage the Mexican bandits give him a bit of water Sproul gets attacked by a vampire bat and eventually ends up dead and the kid gets blamed for it um, then he's taken to Chihuahua City as a prisoner where he once again meets Toadvine so that's the first sort of five chapters or so summed up so what were uh, people's initials thoughts at this stage or people thinking at this stage of the book um, I guess I'll go first um so I thought the start was good. Um, unfortunately, from there it was downhill, but um, the start was definitely intriguing and kind of introduced you to, I mean, you were straight on the first chapter, was straight on the kind of, you know, people getting accused of being pedophiles and stuff like that. So it's, you know, kind of give you a good, strong kind of view of what the book's going to be, you know, how it sets up the tone essentially for the book. It's how, you, um, what's the word, kind of like, raw and violent things are um, and of course this even has the title Blood Murder and like the, the blood kind of like scenes in this are quite descriptive and quite uh, gory um, which I quite liked about the whole book um, but definitely in the opening scenes here it just you know gets straight off with that kind of stuff um, yeah I think because you know the, obviously the main character until just as the kid you don't know his name um, and you know only maybe a few bits about him and then these other characters come on too again you don't really know too much about them it kind of keeps the mystery and you don't really you're starting to get glimpses of how these characters are you know essentially everyone's kind of a bad character in this like there's not that many good characters um but um yeah i thought, I thought it was a, a good opening and uh, that had me intrigued good yeah thanks thanks johnny uh michael Stephen, any thoughts so uh I thought that I thought it was a really yeah it was a really good opening um the introduction of the kid as the protagonist um and his his past with his kind of a uh, absent father yeah I thought the I thought the introduction you know it, it added a good air of mystery and kind of um it gave a good sense of this kind of lost character that we're going to follow throughout the book and then uh the sermon which is one of my favorite scenes in the book where the judge you know, interrupts yeah, this this priest speaking to his congregation and um this is our introduction to the judge and he's described as this hairless, you know, no beard, no eyelashes, no eyebrows, white figure. He's later on the book he's, you know, described as like an albino giant. It kind of makes him this kind of biblical, mythological kind of being that's just walking through this book. And uh yeah, it was really f- effective way to introduce that character uh, i'm sure we'll talk about him more and the and the chapters to come yeah uh and i think I've, I've i've read i've read a lot onto this this book uh i've read other reviews i've read a lot of people said that they a lot of the ones that were negative reviews said that they abandoned the book at the the baby hanging scene was it seems to be a very popular place to have like just put this book down and said this is not for me, and uh, I think I've read as well that this is based on a real gang, isn't it? The Glanton gang. Yeah, I, they I are. Read that as well. yeah. yeah, they are. They are based off a real gang. So yeah, I thought this. I thought this was a really solid opening, and it had me intrigued, especially in the characters, the kid and the judge. So I'm glad you just brought up the the biblical aspect of that, Michael. Um, just because in the book it's sort of it's filled with quite a lot of biblical references um, I find it quite interesting in that sort of very first chapters when 
the Reverend actually calls George Holden the devil. Um, because I think the sort of further on we go, you get to sort of start thinking, you know, is, is he the devil? Like what is going on here? <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, I, I did find there's quite a lot of biblical things going on. There's lots of like imagery of like people walking into the water, like being born anew. I think even at one stage, uh, like between the sergeant and the captain, they sort of talk about so, like the the captain bringing up the sergeant, like rising like Lazarus, you know. Um, so just chock full of uh, religious imagery. Um, so Stephen, um, had you any thoughts on this opening sort of? section or yeah i mean i thought it was okay uh you know some some parts were good like i did uh like the whole part with the judge and the priest and um you know the judge calling out for everything and i thought okay this is the start where the bounty hunting's gonna start happening <laughs> right where the judge has come to like arrest the priest guy for like all the crimes that he's calling him out on but i i realized later on that i sort of got confused about a few things because for some reason I started thinking that the judge was the main character in this part of the book, and then he wasn't, and I was like, "Oh, that was, that was kind of a weird insert," but it made sense later on that you know the judge reappears. And yeah, just sort of pops into that. Um, <clears throat> and then later later down the line, I thought that the the Reverend Green was the same priest that's later in Glanton's gang, and I was like, "Well, that's a bit weird," sort of thing. But then it turns out they're two completely different characters. So yeah, I, I got confused about a few different points, but I think you know the 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 things that were going on was 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 interesting and kind of showed the gruesome nature of the West, like uh, the kid in Tonevine burning down that hotel and battering that guy. Although I thought it was, I was wondering like, you know, what's this going to lead into? And, and nothing really came of it, other than yeah, the, the, you know, the the West is full of um, assholes. Yeah, it's uh, extremely <laughs> um, violent. Then. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's for super violent. Yeah, and but after that, it's sort of the first few chapters anyway. Sort of slowed down a bit for me. I like nothing. Nothing really happened then after that, where he goes with that hermit, and then he's kind of he's he's camping somewhere. He, he batters that bartender, uh, which is was a bit weird. I, and then he kind of camps out, and uh, all his stuff gets stolen, right? And then he meets your man. Um, and then I thought at that point I kind of thought okay now it's gonna it's gonna kick off you know he's gonna go with this guy I can't remember his, I don't know if he's even named but he goes to join Captain White's gang I thought okay now it's gonna come the bounty hunter part <laughs> and I was sort of anticipating that the whole the whole way but it never came sort of but I mean the first few chapters I, I think it was enjoyable um, if a bit uh, you know disappointing at times. Um, for a few few different points, but yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's sort of like the the Great Gatsby and the way you were saying where you expected the judge to be the main character in a way he kind of is, even though we see everything through the kid's eyes. The judge is the he's like the it's called it's kind of weird they call him the emotional core because he's kind of devoid of emotion, but he's like yeah. the thematic he's like the thematic embodiment of the book. And it kind of reminds me of The Great Gatsby where the, the narrator, the protagonist, is actually just the observer to this this like thematic embodiment, the way Gatsby you know, is you know, and The, the Great Gatsby. The th- that's just giving me a good thought there because like, okay, so so 
this this kind of goes on to like spoilers for later on, right? But the judge, uh, like you say, like he's kind of the embodiment of the whole the whole West, right? Where he, he's got all he can speak all these different languages, and it's never really explained why, and he can do all these mad things. Yeah, but he's, he's like, like a, a Renaissance a, man. Yeah, yeah, he's like a summation of all the different types of people that you would see in the West, like you know, different cultures and whatever, and they all have different skill sets and stuff. And he's like the yeah, yeah, he's just just he's like the, a fountain of knowledge, sort of. We, He's like the the gestalt of all the people who would be in the, the West. There's a good word for you, gestalt. <laughs> That's a good word. Go have to Google that one there. Mm-hmm. See if it's real. <laughs> no, I believe him. I believe him. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, um, I quite like this opening, um, definitely. I, I did, I'm not a lie, I did find it sort of actually difficult to sort of keep up with times. Don't know if that was just me, but um, I don't know if it was necessarily pacing or just sort of the, the how it was told. But at the times I was sort of Cormac McCarthy style. <laughs> yeah, at times I was just I was like sort of right. What's what exactly? Maybe I wasn't just listening as as closely as I should have been. But uh, at, at the times I was just a bit like, okay, now we're here. That's mad. Um, but I did overall I quite enjoyed it. Um. So, uh, very much. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I do think it's one that you properly have to like tune on. They have to really be listening because you will miss tiny details that are actually really important. I thought, and I think that's what I, that's part of the problem that I had in the first few chapters is that I wasn't paying enough attention to things. Yeah. I got confused about those things I was I was saying. Yeah, yeah, and like, I, like the judge and the priest and everything. I don't know if I should bring this up now because I was going to wait for a little while later to bring it up, but like. Cormac McCarthy's style of like prose in this entire book is really unusual. There's a lot of like run-on sentences. It's like the man walked in and he sat down and he picked up his drink yeah. and he drank it. And it's like I had a problem with that. And it's kind of <laughs> I was kind of bring it's, that a, up. it's about exhausting. It's, and he was wearing a hat. It's about exhausting and the hat was to listen to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's um but it's also what I was like famed he, for. He, uh, and there was a dog in the corner. It, yeah, and the it dog is, was it is, yeah, Some people, some people love it. It is, it is very poetic. But at times, I was thinking, this is a passage where I should be sitting and dissecting this. But listening to it, just having a breeze over me while I'm like doing chores or something, it's not really working. I'm not. It's not evoking anything because it, this is a. This is this is this is poetry basically. It's something that I need to sit down and dissect and try and understand each individual thing of what he's saying it's i think like audiobooks really benefit from simple punchy writing and this literary heavy literary style it kind of it kind of washes over you a bit and you kind of lose yourself on it so i don't think it was just you jason that was finding it hard to follow yeah i think it has sort of it, it sort of doesn't suit the medium at times is what I thought. Yeah, and I think I think you're right too about like it's definitely a book that I think would be good to to analyze because there's going to be different lo- yeah. loads of different themes and and uh, you know stuff like that to to sink into. It's it's going it's obviously littered yeah. by best like with it with, with with people are saying so. But yeah, I, I, like you said, I don't think it translates to to audio form super well. No, no. Well, I still enjoyed it, but yeah, I suppose we'll uh, we'll get into that maybe. At the end, we can have a big discussion about the right, the good and bad. Um, there wasn't enough wagon paint. <laughs> there's no wagon paint, <laughs> in fact. 
Um, none at all. And Michael just well, it's come to me. Um, I maybe jumped ahead of myself a bit here, but uh, in terms of the food from the book, um, what did you treat yourself to this time round? I completely forgot I was supposed to. Do that. <laughs> 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 do you know, uh, I can't even remember. I'll scalp anybody or uh, make yourself wee necklace of ears, nothing <laughs> like that. No, I had the urge to scalp a few people, but resisted. All right, well. It's probably spoiled a bit there, but anyways. Um, Grant, so we'll jump into the next next sort of couple of chapters anyway. So um, so things sort of pick up. Um, so the kid and his new new sort of pal, Toadvine, meet a guy with a very interesting name called Granny Rat Chambers. Um, and at that stage, they're just sort of chatting about an Indian massacre. Uh, and then they sort of bump into Glanton's gang. So I think at this stage they're all in uh, in jail, potentially. Um, and maybe get out. Um, so then Judge Holden's also part of this gang. And the governor of Chihuahua City, Angel Trias, or Angel, Angel Trias, Angel Trias, uh, offers to pay them $100 per scalp to hunt Apaches. So between the three new characters, they all join Glanton's gang. Um there's a few characters to sort of point out in this gang. You know, there's uh, there's two Jacksons. One's black, one's white. Um, they also just meet, you know, like an arms dealer. They meet a Mexican sergeant. Uh, and Toadvine meets a character called Bathcat, who, who I've just sort of spoiled a bit about, but he's famous for his sort of necklace of uh, ears. Then at this stage, there's a few magicians, they call them, uh, and they play some tarts, which sort of freaks a few people out. Uh, and also at this stage then we sort of meet a character that we were all a bit confused about I think which is then ex-priest called Tobin um, Oh were you guys confused about him as well? I, I did good. get a wee bit confused um, definitely That's good. Um, So then the judge sort of Granny Rat actually ends up going missing the judge is asking Tobin what's happened to him uh, and then Black and White Jackson have a bit of a, bit of a scuffle shall we say. Uh, White Jackson points a gun at Black Jackson. Uh, later on, Black Jackson comes around with his knife and decapitates, decapitates White Jackson in front of everyone. Um, then they get attacked by Apache Indians. Um, they end up meeting some squatters and a young Mexican boy. The judge, who does this a lot through the book, decides to sort of preach naked, almost. Well, he is naked. It's the preaching. It's probably the bit he does, almost. Uh, then after that uh, it's mentioned that the young Mexican boy has been found dead with his neck snapped um, Tobin then tells the kid the story about the, how the judge joined the gang he saved them all from an Indian attack through sort of his warfare tactics um, Tobin sort of just also gives the kid like a warning sort of don't ask any, any questions about the judge um, so that was sort of chapters 6 through 10 um, anybody want to jump in about any thoughts about that it was sort of... um, so yeah, I mean, so what Michael said there about the last part about Cormac McCarthy's writing style and things and how it was easy to get lost, uh, like I think that's kind of what happened to me, um, essentially from here on. And I think because at the start of the book, you know, you're starting a new book and you're all interested, so it's easy to follow. But then I think when you're like doing other things, like I think I listened to a lot of this book while I was driving, um, and you know, usually I would you know, it's one of them things where you're driving and you zone out and you're listening and then you're like, geez, how the hell did I get to this location? Um, did, did I 
you know, run any red lights or anything, like, because you actually, even though you're on autopilot, <laughs> you don't realise that you actually, like, you know, are still able to drive and you just do it all naturally. But I was the actual opposite with this. I was actually focusing on the driving and not this book. Um, and I think, yeah, the writing style might have been a part of it. But, um, yeah, I think, I think too, a lot of it does... The, the book's a bit repetitive for me. Like, it's essentially just, like, you know, here's a bunch of boys, you know, they do some bad stuff, you know, they go scalp a few people, there's a bear comes in and attacks them, a few undens come and attack them. Spoilers. And then Spoilers. repeat, you know. Yeah, it's, it's just it's just a constant lip of that, you know, for the throughout the book. Um, so I think that's kind of another reason why I kind of zoned out a lot. Um, because, you know, whenever I like started paying attention, it would just be like, some person getting scalped, I'm like, oh, this again. You know, so, uh, yeah, I think for, for after the first few chapters, I think the book started going downhill for me, and I didn't follow it as well. Okay, yeah, thanks, thanks. Uh, Michael, do you want to go next? Yeah, um, so it's kind of kind of has me like um, thinking about what what movies and books are supposed to do as a whole because you can't really. I don't think anybody can come out of this and say I enjoyed that. And, but I don't think that's also the the purpose of books and movies. I think that is there is a certain type of books and movies where the the primary thing that you want to experience is enjoyment. But there's also movies and books where the primary experience is that it is emotionally impactful in some way. So, and I think that is definitely more a literary thing than it is a genre fiction thing, where the the emphasis is on how it emotionally impacts you and I definitely am a fan of being impacted by misery I love Ari Aster movies I love Darren Aronofsky movies I can definitely handle a lot of misery and this I was kind of I was what is Cormac McCarthy what does he want me to feel here and it was just this relentless barrage of violence and misery and horrible imagery and and I think and and and, and what I think is the intention of of all this is to exhaust you and that sounds like a very negative experience but at the same time i think that is the intention of these chapters and it's the repetition is intentional it's just this book is trying to grind you down and destroy your sense of humanity i think that is part of the experience of this book and i think that's why a lot of people love it i think it's like this is the ride that you're on that you are just being worn down and seeing the worst parts of humanity over and over again. So, um, so that's what I was. That's kind of what my feeling was at this stage. I was kind of, I was trying to figure out what am, what am I supposed to be feeling here? What is this book trying to say? Yeah, I'd agree. It's a, it's a very ugly story, but I think it's just about an ugly time in like American history, and it's just trying to get that point across. Really, that unfortunately, the Wild Wild West wasn't just as uh, full of shining nights as the movies make it out to be. You know, it actually was just full of a lot of murder and rape and torture and violence in general. Yeah, because this was this was written in eighty five, which I don't I don't know if that was the height of like of the romanticizing of, of Westerns, but would, it was definitely would have been towards the, the end, end of that think, era. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I, I guess maybe that's much. what he was trying to do, is is it on romance? Yeah. To make it, yeah, uh, to like expose it for how aggressive it was. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of like, um, it's sort of like what a Game of Thrones does to fantasy. It's kind of tech. It's showing you that the ugly, gritty kind of aspects of this 
of this material. Yeah, Stephen, have you any uh, thoughts about those couple of chapters? Yeah, I think I think for the most part, I would echo a lot of what Johnny said. Right, um, it, it's just a lot of gruesome events that happen, and it feels like it repeats a lot. You know, the stuff that they're, they're scalping, and they're they're traveling a bit, then they're they're being rude to each other, then they're scalping some more, and so on. But <clears throat> to add to that, I think there was a few things that were I felt like were like missed, like inserts that were sort of missed opportunities, or like didn't didn't seem like they fit. Like, the stuff with the magicians, right? I, I didn't know why they were included, other than to spark a fight between the two Jacksons. Uh, or, did, you know... So, was there something to do with that? I can't remember, but... I think... Yeah. If, and later on, I think they sort of... They sort of... What's the word I'm looking for? Like, they sort of let uh, Glanton sort of know what his future may entail. Like, they sort of read his future a bit. And uh, it's sort of like a bit of foreshadowing. That's the word I'm looking for, I think. Yeah, but, I, I spo- yeah, I suppose that's true. Yeah, it's a foreshadowing of, of like the, I think they, they do the kids as well, or the kid doesn't want them to do it or something. But yeah, it's it's it, it seemed it seemed like it was like half cocked in the sense that it, it, it sort of like you said did the foreshadowing, but but it was kind of strange the, the way they done it. I mean, the foreshadowing kind of is there by itself because of the nature of what they're doing, right? They're going to like scalp you know native americans and stuff right so yeah and i, I, I don't know sorry and then the, the folk that were in the mine shaft or whatever I, i'm not i, I kind of tuned out a bit to what was going on there but it seemed like that was wasted as well i, I don't know um i think it's um i think it's like what you're talking about is another thing that he's doing here is kind of there is no conventional structure to this book at all and things just happen and there's no consequence to them and that's that can be like unsatisfying, but I think that is like a theme of this book. I think it's a theme of Cormac McCarthy's entire career, just basing that off you know the road. And I've never read No Country for Old Men, but I've seen the movie. And like one subject matter that he's very fascinated by is nihilism, and there is no point to some of this. And sometimes just terrible things happen, and that can seem like a cop out, you know, to say, oh well somebody asks what what's the point of that and then you say well there is no point it can seem like an excuse but yeah. i think like based if, especially if you look at like the judges his monologues and stuff like there is very intentional nihilism in this book for sure yeah and i mean that it's that's not necessarily a bad thing like like you're saying right i mean but but for me i was expecting something Maybe this is a fault of mine, but I was expecting something that just never came. You know, I was expecting like a a, a plot that didn't really materialize. Yeah, because there's yeah, there's not there's not really a plot. Yeah, or there's a loose, there's very loose plot. Very and loose and plot, again, yeah. that, that's that, that's okay, but it's not it's not for me. Yeah, yeah, and just to sort of go back, Stephen, to sort of something you mentioned about like the foreshadowing, where I can't remember exactly what you said now. Again, I think it just comes down to like the sort of pacing and the, the prose. You know, I think it's it's just like it's just said in one sentence. And it doesn't linger on. The, it just it yeah. just happens. Yeah. And if you if you missed it, you missed it, That's which it. I think is sort of a fault of the audiobook, unfortunately, because you will miss it. You will miss things. Yeah. You know, but like it's one line. There's and it's gone. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, no grand importance is given to anything. Really, it's yeah, and only they want. Oh, One sorry, thing I wanted to mention as well is that a hundred dollar a scalp is a lot of cash. 
in them days. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> like, um, but like it just shows you like something that's never talked about. I suppose in the or at least not in the West since I've ever watched is like how I hated these Native Americans where it was like they were paying fortunes just to kill them and get proof of their their heads. Essentially, you know. Um, I wonder if there's some sort of thing you can look up to see what that would be nowadays. I'm actually going to have a wee look here. That was the 1800s, <laughs> wasn't it? And it's the fact that they start, they descend upon, you know, innocents that aren't even involved in any kind of conflict just to collect their scalps. It's so, it's so evil. Yeah, and I think that's something that sort of happens in the next couple of chapters coming up as well as when it just sort of becomes just about general chaos and evil yeah okay uh, there's no way this can even? be right <laughs> <laughs> there's no way this can be right so i'm on a website called <clears throat> nationalarchives.gov.uk and right. it's got a currency converter which goes back to 1270 until 2017 right so i put in the currency for 1840 which i think is roughly the time period right yeah, put 100 roughly. pounds in okay their pounds are on their dollars there's there's no dollars, so that's the, that's another reason why I'm skeptical about this. But <laughs> according to this, a hundred dollars would be worth about six grand. <laughs> six grand per scalp. Six grand a scalp, and with that you could buy uh, six horses, eighteen cows, uh, hundred fifty one <laughs> stones of of wool. <laughs> 49 of, uh, quarters of wheat. Really? And that's, really uh, sweet. 500 days worth of wages for skilled tradesmen. There you go. There you go. So I've, I've just Googled it there. Uh, I typed in 1850, but not quite changes, but it's Google's telling me $100 is worth almost four grand today. So That's mad. Yeah, but I mean, if someone offered you four grand, they scalp someone now, like, it's pennies. It's not, <laughs> you wouldn't do it. Well, it depends who it is. Like, if it was, I don't know, Hitler or something. Ah, well, they're not. But what if you're walking down the street and there's just a wee scalp just lying there, like, I mean... <laughs> but what if, what if all your mates were doing it too? <laughs> <laughs> like, all, all, all the lads that were scalping too. You would... <laughs> scalping peer pressure. It's a, it's, a, it's a disease that's plaguing this country. Um, Four grand. That's madness. Isn't it? Um... So yeah, I suppose my thoughts, uh, I feel like the kid's not actually in this uh, sort of section just as much as he was at the beginning. I feel like he uh, sort of is at the side of things. I feel like he focuses a bit more on, on just generally like the gang and the, and the judge uh, to a degree. Um, one thing I just wanted to sort of bring up and just draw to people's attention because it becomes quite clear throughout the book was, you know, that sort of section about the sort of young... Mexican boy being found dead once they got to this sort of village um, seems to be a sort of a theme that runs in the book uh, oh, yeah, about yeah. these sort of young children um, Death sort of showing up dead uh, as soon as they arrive to a village and you're sort of thinking right well which one of them is the is the fucking kitty snatcher um, and the judge is usually naked within a couple of you know, he he's usually found naked at some stage on the chapter. Yeah, yeah. So, just I suppose, I mean, I'll draw attention to it, but that was something that I picked up a lot. There's actually quite a lot of that happens again. I suppose you're right that it's maybe a bit repetitive, but it's it's uh, 
it's on the subtext that the start, but I think it becomes it becomes clear throughout the story that the the judge is a big fat pedo. So. Yeah, and like definitely by like the sort of last couple of chapters, like it's 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 confirmed, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, will we jump on to the next sort of bit? Terrifying. I, I think I think another thing about that um, is that with all the you know the the kids and stuff. I think that's supposed to be like a comparison with the the the, the kids' journey through the story right where like death of innocence sort of thing is uh is going on right more and more he gets um um embroiled in the whole west stuff that uh he kind of loses loses his um innocence more and more yeah but i suppose he's he's wrecked by the west yeah one thing you could potentially it's argue grim, is that Michael, but yeah is that like <laughs> his mother dies during childbirth? You know, he was born into violence. You know, do they ever have any innocence? You know, yeah. Like that's a sort of story. As it begins with the death of his mum. You know, maybe not necessarily his fault, but it was during childbirth. You know, it all begins. I think, with that, I think that's a really. I think that's a really strong point of the book too. That um. I think his perspective is is well conveyed and what isn't said. It's how dispassionately everything is described. And because we know it's through his eyes, it kinda of, it's kind of telling of his own character that he's just letting all these horrific events kind of wash over him. It's just it's kind of it's just like this is the way the world works. He's just he kind of accept accepts it. There's no real introspection within this book. It's very rare that you get any inner monologue from the kid. It's just him describing events after over and over again. And and I think that is, and again, an intentional way of revealing character. The fact that there is no introspection to this. Yeah, I don't know if there's much at all. It's not from memory, I know. No, it's very, it's, it's, yeah, it's very description and event driven. There's very, very little inner monologue at all. Yeah, there's no reaction to it anyways, really. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. So the next couple of chapters end. Something Johnny had sort of touched on. Um, so the chapter begins with a, a bear coming out and killing one of the Delaware Indians that was actually part of the gang. Uh, but then they end up fighting it off. Maybe think potentially killing us. Uh, and then the judge just goes on one of his sort of big sort of speeches. Um, sort of goes on chatting about like images and sort of drawing something to like understand it and you again you'll sort of notice at times the judge will sort of draw something like a hieroglyphic or like a bone or uh and then actually destroy it you sort of try and keep that knowledge to himself um he then sort of tells a story i can't remember exactly uh, about like a harness maker and a traveler and how the harness maker uh meets this traveler and then actually goes off and uh kills the traveler but then frames it as like they were sort of robbed. Uh, it's only then on his like deathbed that the, the harness maker actually tells his own son that he was the murderer all along. And that's the whole sort of whole point of that is like the whole like image uh, that that son thought he had of his father has just been sort of stolen from. And he didn't actually have the full knowledge that he thought he had of the dad. Um, then it's around that chapter, you see fires off in the distance and they're sort of thinking, okay, there's a, uh, some more Native Americans up there. Uh, before, before on to the next chapter, the gang's killing Indians, they're killing children, they're killing Mexican slaves, uh, they're just killing anything they can scalp at this stage. Um, 
one of their own in the gang actually gets killed. It's a guy called McGill. And without hesitation, Glanton just walks off, kills him and scalps him. Um, then at this stage, the judge also takes uh, takes an infant, I think, from the village. And uh, I find this quite disturbing. Like one minute, the judge is sort of sitting with the infant on his lap playing. And then it's just like one minute later, the infants had their necks snapped and the judge is scalped. Um, then they start getting chased by these Apache Indians and they flee back to Chihuahua City. So then they start having dinner with a gentleman called Trias. I think he might be a general or he might be the governor. I can't remember exactly. Um, and they're having dinner. They're dancing. Uh, after that, they're kicked out of these towns. There's lots of havoc. Um, they then start just killing some peaceful Indians, uh, which Tovine sort of objects to. Uh, they end up having to leave Chihuahua with a bounty on Glanton's head. And then there's another scene uh, with the judge dancing this time around um, in a different village. Then another little girl goes missing. Uh, judge buys some of these dogs off a fellow in the town uh, for like extortionate money. Uh, like crazy amounts of money. It's like 150 per dog or something, which as we said, it's like a lot. Uh, <laughs> but then for whatever reason, he just throws them off a bridge. Um Glinton takes him well and the judge ties him to the bed but he breaks free and sort of starts causing chaos in town. Some of the gang members get killed uh, and Glinton just seems to be sort of going crazy because now they've sort of, they're not like being paid to sort of hunt for these scalps or anything at this minute. Uh, and then after all that they end up going to a town or a city called Sonora. Um, so that was sort of chapters 11 through 14. Um, so I began to say quite a lot of just Storytelling, world building, lots of sort of Indians and then fighting. Um, uh, yeah, so I've been like thinking about this book a lot since it finished and kind of just because I, th- I think it's the most literary book that we have done on the podcast. So I think there is a lot of a lot of stuff going on and a lot of stuff to dissect into it. Um, the thing that I find really interesting and really uh, provocative about the judge's character is his creation of art and then his immediate destruction of it. And what my interpretation of that is, as as bespeaks his wider character, is um, I think that he sees the way that an artist creates something and they see beauty and the expression of this, he sees just an equal amount, if not even more, amount of beauty and the destruction of creativity and I think that is why he throws the dog off the bridge and I think that's why he finds war and destruction so attractive because it is it's his form of art it's his ultimate form of expression and that's that's kind of that's what I feel is my insight to the character and that's what I I think the intention of the destruction of the art is to the character and as for, you know, you said that uh, you find that scene very disturbing. You know, I, I find it actually, it was more disturbing, I thought, the moment where the, the infant was with him than the actual what happens, because you just know that something terrible is going to happen. It's the ominous and, and it's the it's the dread of what's going to happen. Kind of that got me more than... Yeah, and uh, the, than the actual event and the dread I don't even think gets to last that long because from memory like it happens so quickly 
again, I think it is maybe like a matter of sentence or like a paragraph or two. It's like, and they all turned over and the, the neck had been snapped and they were scalping it, you know? Um, yeah, again, it's like that thing where he doesn't give like massive importance to anything in this book, really. It's just everything is so incidental. And I think that is, that's kind of the point of this book again, that... That, that there is no point that it's just these terrible things happened at this point in time and he's just exploring that yeah I mean I, 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 thought, I thought it actually picked up a bit during this but for me um, there, there was a lot of interesting uh, scenes that happened just one, one point that uh, came to my head there while you were talking about the dogs it's not just they weren't just dogs they were puppies as well right so I think again that's another um, point towards the you know the innocence thing where they just killed the puppies straight, straight out um, and then the thing with the, the governor's or not uh, the glutton being sick I think that's like a metaphor for like the, the sickness that would run through these sort of gangs throughout the the west not not like physical sickness but like you know um, sickness in the sense that they just go rove around and cause destruction and mayhem for, for no apparent reason I think that was like a yeah metaphor for that sort of thing because when he eventually gets free, he just goes on a rampage, right? <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah, he just goes goes mad. Yeah, I think I think you're definitely definitely like getting to something too with the innocence thing. I think it's like innocence probably offends the judge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'd, like that that's nearly why he commits the rape. It's not even it's not even an act of pleasure for him. It's more more the robbery of the innocence that he despises yeah it's not not even just the judge though i think bath cat shoots at the dogs as well like um as they're as you know they're floating down the river or whatever but um, is that more like a like a mercy killing sort of thing at that stage or i don't know i can't i can't really remember yeah. <laughs> I, I can't remember it could be but yeah, i think i think the judge just likes to like as like assert his like dominion over these things that he deems lesser yeah. you know um, he just seems to um, just anything he deems below him, which is which is everything, or anything that he deems like uh, just to go back to the sort of drawing images of like the the art on the walls or whatnot. Like as soon as he's done with it, doesn't need it. It's, it's not for anyone else, mm. you know. Like the children, like the as I say, the hieroglyphics, or um, it's just. Good enough for him. Yeah, he's got what he's wanted, another, and then it's gone. Yeah, another thing that started started like showing through to me in the, these these couple of chapters is that the judge has some sort of superiority complex or like god complex or something like that. Um, just just in everything that he does, I think even at one stage he says something about how like um, he, he knows as much as possible that he can that he can know because anything that he doesn't know exists without his consent or something like that. And it's yeah. like, right, so he thinks he's God then. And he, he's kind of presented that way as well in the way he's able to, like, resolve situations and stuff. Like, he talks people down and whatever, somehow. And Yeah, yeah. I was going to bring that up on the, like, the top uh, Goodreads comment. That That is the top quote on the book. It's, um, whatever in creation exists without my knowledge exists without my consent. Yeah, I must have saw one of them <laughs> reviews or something, yeah, because I don't know why I remembered uh, that otherwise. But I, like, you know, it, 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 it yeah, I, th- I think, yeah, he's got some God Complex type thing going on. And I think, I feel does. like, 
I feel like Cormac McCarthy's trying to present them in that sort of way for some reason as well, and I'm not quite sure why. I mean, has he got God complex, or is he, in fact, is he God omnipotent? God. Is he? You know, could be. Cool. There, that has that has Jason touched on one of the one of the popular theories of this that he is the devil. There are other theories that say that he is the wrath of God. Yeah, I mean, the very first chapter he gets called the devil by the Reverend. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, he, he's called the judge, right? So he's there to judge, you know, impose as well, I guess. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I feel very interesting. These last sort of couple of sections, I feel like it just becomes more and more apparent of his like sort of almost like supernatural being i suppose one thing actually i do want to just bring up before you go um was that they really place an emphasis on the dancing um and it seems to be whenever especially in those sort of chapters 13 and 14 um like there's a bit of dancing there's a bit of carry on and then once that happens be it because they're all just sloshed and on the drink you know but there's there's lots of violence the battery that happens sort of after just dancing. Um, or I think even they sort of skip to the last chapter, the judge sort of likens the dance to like uh to like war itself. I think, you know. War, yeah. Yeah, I think he, he likens the dance to war. Um Yeah. So uh, again, just another sort of side note was that there's another child gone missing once they got to this new town. Um But if I have no one else say anything that I'll uh I'll jump on well, the chapters. Just oh, sorry, one wee small thing. Go ahead. So they're all dancing, and now yeah. we're we're thinking that the judge might be like the devil. They're all they're all dancing with the devil. Oh. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. Which is like a you know a term for you know dodgy behavior or like you know immoral things. Yeah. Yeah. Which you're spot on. That's what they are doing, you know. You know, um, enjoying this book more as we go on. <laughs> once, once you get into the analysis of it, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like it definitely. I I have the paper copy. I think I might sit down and actually read it at some stage. Um, but I'll I'll get into that at the end. So I'll jump on here now to sort of chapters fifteen through nineteen, uh, the sort of second last section of the book. Um, Quite a lot sort of seems to happen here, but uh, more the same. So the governor of uh, Sonora sends them off to get more scalps. Um, on their way back, they run to General Elias, who uh, fights them with an army of 500, apparently. Um, uh, I think then the the a, a, a character calls, called Shelby gets wounded, and they, uh, there are four characters all wounded, and they sort of drew like arrowheads to see who would sort of put them out of their misery. Um, and one of these things, the kid pulls out one of these arrowheads. He was going to pick a different one, but he actually looked at the judge and sort of changed his mind last minute. And then he ended up picking out one of uh, one of these arrowheads that meant he was supposed to put someone down. So he was supposed to put down a character called Shelby, but he actually ended up leaving him. Um, the kid then returns to the gang after a bit of travel, and he uh, becomes more and more afraid of the judge. Uh, and just to sort of pop out like one of the sort of religious imagery that pops up here again with sort of at one stage the kid sort of sees like a silent burning tree like you know they sort of compare that to like the, the burning bush from God that sort of talks to him you know he's he's passing this burning tree but um, it's, it's it's not speaking out to him um, so then on to the next chapter uh, 
they sort of head on out and there's a few of the gang members are getting hanged. Uh, they actually start working with some Apaches, Apache Indians, and they agree to sort of help them get whiskey. Um, so they end up running or entering this town that's actually ran by the Apaches. And at this stage, they meet, uh, I can't remember the character's name, they meet uh, this guy and his younger or his brother, who they just term the, the idiot. Um, then they cause more murders. And at this stage, the judge actually talks away out of it, which you sort of mentioned. Uh, and there's another little girl that goes missing. Um, and there's also some talk about uh, a guy who's trying to sell these mutant dogs to the gang. I think one has like four eyes and one has two legs or something crazy like that. Um, they end up then giving this whiskey that they sort of water down to the Apaches and they're sort of hoping the Apaches will get themselves drunk enough not to notice. Um, they're sort of sitting around the campfire and the judge is doing these sort of mad coin tricks. Um, things that just can't seem to be explained with a human eye. You know, he's, I think he like flicks one up and it like, goes up in the air for a while and it comes back down into his hand and they sort of think oh it's it's just like he's got horse hair or something tied around it but then he sort of seems to flick one I think like around the fire and back to him and everybody's like right well what happened to that um, and then he gives another sort of speech about war and God's will and then they sort of I think this is a sort of big moment they arrive at this sort of ver- ferry crossing and they meet these Yuma Indians sort of like we sort of side chapter in between the sort of bigger events is that these women then bump into the gang and they, they see the idiot all caged up and they uh, they say they free the idiot and they sort of take him into the water and they bathe him and they, they uh, give him his name instead of calling the idiot they call him by his real name and then later on that night the idiot uh, actually goes back into the water I think it's just his fascination with things I think there's an earlier stage where he's like staring into the fire he's just like obsessed with this these elements um but the judge weirdly enough actually saves the idiot from drowning um they head back up to the ferry crossing after meeting these yuma indians and they met these yuma indians and the plan was actually that the yuma indians and the glanton gang would uh double would uh would attack the ferry crossing and sort of take it from themselves but glanton talks to the guy who runs the the ferry crossing and actually says look these yuma indians are going to come up and attack your thing so the guy's like, yeah, come here, you can defend it. So then they end up actually killing the Indians who come to attack the ferry, even though that was the Glanton gang's plan. Or what, was they were the ones that sort of pushing towards it. So then the Glanton gang ends up in charge of this ferry cross and they end up sort of just charging extortionate amounts. I think it used to be like $1 across, they were charging there about $4 all of a sudden. And they were actually starting to rob um, rob everybody. Uh, then a character I didn't talk about earlier, I believe he's called Brown. Um, he trace the gang and sort of runs off with their money because the thing is they're like at this ferry crossing they um they have to stay there so they have to sort of send people in and out to do their their jobs for them uh glutton actually then goes to san diego to sort of look for uh brown and i think tovine potentially uh once again it's sort of drawn to like the idiot then starts to dance uh and then what happens after the idiot dances i, I believe they get attacked by some Indians, I can't remember what sort of tribe it is, but then you know, the, like your Black Jackson's dead, I think a doctor's dead, and actually Glunton gets killed here as well. Uh, but the judges escapes, so quite a lot happened in those sort of five chapters. Um, apart from like one we sort of side mission with the edit getting freed, um, you know, um, I think uh, some of the some of this part of the book uh, I listened to in the car with Jonathan. Um, 
yeah, it's a relentless amount of violence. It was uh, I don't I don't have trouble keeping up at, at points in these chapters. Uh, as I said before, Cormac McCarthy's prose in this book is not the easiest to follow, and it's but I, I got kind of a I got a overview of the events as they were happening. Um, kind of a. I know a lot of people say this is the darkest book ever and everything, but um, I think I think because, like you know, the, I find the road so emotionally affecting because I had such a because of the relationship between the man and the child. I thought that that put against this hor- all these horrific things that were happening, kind of give it that emotional core. So sometimes I had like I had difficulty connecting with with any of the horrible things that were happening, even even as horrible as they were described, they don't they don't quite affect me as much as the horrific things and and the book like The Road did. Yeah, and I think just to sort of mirror that, I think The Road has a lot more emotion behind it due to the father son relationship. Um, yeah. Whereas there's just no emotion in this book. It's just massacre no. after massacre and just get on with it. <laughs> yeah. Um, no one mourns anybody, you know. <laughs> yeah, like friends are killing friends once they're not like of any use to them anymore. It's just right, get on with it. You're injured, you're dead. Next bit. Yeah. Um. But yeah, Stephen, have you any points? Yeah, this 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 is where I really started to tune out, unfortunately. Um, and I just want to make it clear that I really tried. To, to like follow along <laughs> what was happening in this part of the book, like for the whole book, but I just couldn't. Like it just it just got to the point where I was like, okay, so I I realized how far into the book I was, right? And I was like, okay, so this is just going to be more gruesome events happening over and over and over, and that's that's the whole thing. And I, and there were so many of them that I was like Michael said earlier on, I was so worn down by it that I was like, oh man, I can't, I just can't tune in properly. And when you were uh, kind of going over the, the overview there, or the summary of this part, I, I was like, I do not remember any of that happening. <laughs> fair, <laughs> which, fair. <laughs> which, uh, I'm sorry to say, but yeah, I, I can't, a lot of, some things I do remember, like with the, 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 the fellow they called the idiot and everything, but the the fairy cross, and that's, that's a whole blank for me. Yeah, I really, so, yeah. I completely agree, agree with Stephen there because that's exactly same for me. Yeah, I uh, I find from the fairy cross onwards is probably like my my favorite bit of the book actually. Um, I thought it was like when things really kicked it up a notch, and where well, or at least I, or at least where I thought. I mean, probably the next section more so, but I think it's where like the the horror, the sort of fear started to sort of happen uh, but I think I'll touch on that more in the sort of last last section um, but yeah it was just, just filled with more religious imagery again which I sort of glossed over or didn't even mention at all um, but there's one stage where Toadvine meets these Sonoran Indians who I believe are peaceful but they're burning like a Judas effigy which I think sort of foreshadows again this sort of well, foreshadows that a lot of these people's bodies are getting burned, but also the fact that it's a Judas effigy sort of foreshadows that there's going to be just a lot of betrayal. Um, one of the things being about how the judge seemed to know that there was a, 
sort of seemed to get away quite easily from this attack. You know, he seemed to, again, just know this was happening. Did he betray them? Or again, is it more, is there other reasons why he knew this was going to happen? Uh, I suppose we'll never know, but... <laughs> um, Grant, so this is the sort of last, last four chapters of the book. Um, so this, this, for me, um, was where, was my favourite bit of the book. Um so after the sort of massacre at the ferry crossing where lots of the Glanton gang are killed or most of the Glanton gang are killed, the kid and Toadvine and the ex-priest Tobin uh, are fleeing these Yuma Indians. Um, the kid, because he actually is quite a good marksman, he actually ends up killing quite a lot of them and they sort of send the, they seem to leave him alone. But somehow out of nowhere, the judge seems to find him. I think the judge uh, then offers Toadvine like ridiculous money for his hat. He's offering Toadvine $150 for his hat. And then he offers the kid $500 for his gun. Um, but before the kid gives him over his gun, Tobin the priest is actually saying, look, you have to kill the judge. This is your last chance to kill the judge and get rid of him. Uh, but the kid doesn't do that and he doesn't give him his gun. Uh, and for this, the judge then seems to sort of hunt him down. Um, Tobin, Tobin gets shot. Um, and at this stage, then the judge is actually with the, the idiot and they're both sort of hunting after the kid. Um, and then at one stage, the judge actually goes past him and he has the idiot on a leash, almost like a dog. Um, but thankfully, the kid, I believe it's Tobin, the kid and Tobin get rescued by some more Native Americans and they make it to San Diego. Um, however, once they get here very quickly, the kid gets arrested um, and the judge shows up again and sort of tells him that he's actually, he himself has played, told told the police that the kid was responsible for the whole massacre at the ferry. Um, however, the kid manages to get released from prison after he tells the police about where they find the gang's treasure. Later on, after his passage, uh, the kid then um, goes to watch a hanging, and it turns out it's actually Toadvine and uh, Brown who he's watching get hanged. And then there's like a big time jump, and the kid goes from like sort of 15, 16, and now all of a sudden he's sort of 28. Um, and I'm not entirely sure if he's still 28 in this last chapter, maybe slightly older, but you know, the book's now referring to him as the man. I think it was like 10 years after or something. Yeah, something I yeah. I can't, remember. I can't remember when the book starts, which is the problem. Uh, but it does sort of state that he's 28, so I think it might be the sort of same time. But uh, now the man in the final chapter. Um, so the man actually meets this 15-year-old kid uh, called Elrod. Not Elrond. Fortunately, but um, and there's sort of it's like a bit of likeness towards what the kid was like at that age, and these you know this Elrod is quite feisty, quite aggressive. He's sort of threatening the man, and he actually then comes to try and kill the man, but the man kills him. Uh, and then afterwards, the the man enters a saloon, uh, and there at the saloon, there's like a young girl, and there's actually a bear, and I think it's like a tutu or something like that, and the bear's dancing while the girl's playing the, the piano or something like that. Funny, uh, is it? A fiddle. I think the fiddles maybe after soon enough, but um, then the the judge also shows up, and the judge makes a speech about the dance, which I'm not going to try and quote now off the top of my head. But it's he likens the dance to or war. He likens war to a dance. Um, I think quite spookily, kid or the man. Apologies. Goes to uh, an outhouse, goes to the toilet, and as he opens the door, the judge. Is sitting on the toilet and sort of like pops up and grabs him and sort of draws him into his flesh and then it's just sort of 
skips to like these these three gentlemen and one guy's like don't go in there don't look and it's uh the man's sort of mangled corpse in this outhouse toilet um and then the book sort of finishes sort of like it started um with the judge sort of pleasing the crowd like he did at the very start after the sort of after the sermon, you know, he was in a pub and he was having a bit of crack and he was he was like the sort of number one guy in this bar and he's dancing and he's playing the fiddle, I think, at that stage. And that's just sort of how it ends. Um, so that was the sort of last four chapters of the book. I, I was back in again for the last couple of chapters. Uh, it was somehow I picked up on that the, the gang had been massacred and I thought, I, I was realising I was coming towards the end of the book and I was like, Damn, I've I've missed a big chunk here, so tune back in, <laughs> uh, tune back in, and I, I quite enjoyed the last few chapters. Um, you know, I liked the whole thing where the the judge turns on him and and the foreshadowing for that, not turns on him, but like you know he touts on him, and uh, you know I, everything that's going on there. And I, I really liked the last chapter where um, you know he goes to the bar and everything, and uh, <clears throat> the judge kind of kills him and it's kind of like he, the kid sort of uh, like he got like justice was done because you know the kid met met his end um, in a way you yeah. know, because he, he sort of you know all the bad things he did eventually came back to him in the form of the judge killing him you know and, and I liked how the judge sort of follows him around throughout his life um, I, re- I realised that towards the end that the judge is kind of always there when you know throughout this journey that he's gone on and uh, watching him kind of go from a sort of innocent guy and there I'm bringing it up again to this sort of <laughs> like you know <laughs> wandering you know uh, murderer uh, effectively um, bad person and then yeah he, he finally gets him at the end yeah and I think, so I think I, by I the like end it. of it like he's uh, that's good it's good uh, I think by the end of the end once the judge has sort of killed off the man. He is now the sort of sole survivor of the Glinton gang. Um, unless the idiot's still alive. I'm not entirely sure, actually. Um, but Michael, any thoughts on these last couple of chapters? Yeah, I thought I thought it was a really powerful ending. I thought it was a, a great ending to the book. Um, the, the implication that I got from it anyway was not only that he he killed the man, but also raped him before killing him. Um, and again, I think it was, as you alluded to earlier, Jason, uh, that kind of assertion of dominance is, is probably the primary motive of this. And maybe, maybe part of what Stephen was saying too, where he, it was the, you know, the kid goes through this, this book and this kind of guise of innocence, but he's, is he really innocent because he's committed all these atrocities just because he, he kind of every now and then he has minor objections. He's still engaged in these hor- yeah. horrific things, so he's he's sort of a hypocrite in this book as well. But um, I thought I think I think you could endlessly debate why the judge kills him. I think it's completely open for interpretation. I think the imagery of him dancing afterwards and playing the fiddle is very haunting, and it's probably going to stay with me for a long time. So. <laughs> I think that shows the effectiveness of it. Yeah, and I don't know if he's ever even just, like if he's ever like Googled like sort of drawings of the judge, but they're yeah. quite terrifying. They're <laughs> terrifying, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, like something like four chan made up, you know. 
Honestly, you know what I like? Yeah. Terrifying. You know, you know what I like as well, and this just sort of came to me. The kid's journey is sort of like a reverse, of, or not like an inverse of the hero's journey. It's more like the, the villain's journey, right? Where you know, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing more to yeah. say. Other than that, I just think it's interesting. Yeah, it's like um, like a slow corruption kind of. Yeah, slow corruption towards a sort of redemption at the end, but then he gets killed anyway. Yeah, I suppose there was yeah. a bit of a redemption because I think again something I never really talked about, but I think there is like a stage where he actually ends up getting like uh, baptized, and uh, it sort of mentions that he's carrying about a, um, oh my god, a Bible with him as well. At that stage, mm, yeah, you know, he seems to have sort of chose God rather than the judge, you know. Hint, hint. What I find very <laughs> interesting to you in their conversation, it's um, you would think the judge who is like this warmonger and the kid who's clearly found religion, that the kid would be the guy who believes in purpose and the judge, the one who is a nihilist, but it's the other way around. The judge believes that they met, they were intended to meet and that it was fate that drew them together where the kid kind of just believes that things happen and that's it. They, they just happen. Yeah. So I, I find that, that interesting too. Yeah, it was. I was, it was my fear part. Definitely. Um, quite a lot happened there. I just, I actually found the whole sort of chase scene with the the judge just like constantly on his tail. I actually found it like sort of almost like a horror. Um, because yeah, he is just sort of like this ever present. Can't shake him. Uh, yeah, he's just Tobin he's just kind of there that. at all, all times. Yeah, like a, yeah. some sort of dark force. He follows him around. Yeah, and like uh, again, I haven't read the book, but it reminded me so much of No Country for Old Men, the movie. Yeah, I haven't read the book either, but as you sort of mentioned, it's actually another Cormac McCarthy novel. Um, yeah, so potentially I'll get that read at some stage. Yeah, um, but yeah, that that seems to be the sort of just spoiler. Just, just one thing. Sorry, go ahead. I, ju- I just wanted to ask if he's had any thoughts about how the judge killed him. And like why why it was done like that, like you know, in a nighthouse <laughs> and a bear hug and then it cuts and he's dead. It's it's sort of interesting that that's the sort of violent part that it skips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, and just even the setting, like you know, because he, he could could have done it anyway. The guy could have just shot him or just you know beat him to death or something. But no, well, we don't actually don't know what happened. But it, it went into meticulous detail that the the kid was going to the toilet. I think. <laughs> I'm not sure why about there. the toilet. Maybe it's because the toilet is where we're most bare and yeah. primal. And it's like, and the judge is, he wrestled him. Like, as you said, he didn't shoot him. He he like basically wrestled him, which is the most masculine way to kill somebody probably. Mm. So it's, again, I think it does, it does point to that kind of a certain dominance kind of that desire of the judge. Yeah, again, yeah, he's wrestling, he's dominated him. I think you're right, actually. Well, at least that's what we can assume. You know, I think it does say the word wrestle, but we don't know what happened. But was that's the was the was the man also found naked? I think is that why he sort of touched upon? Was he also raped? Or I think it's kind of ambiguous how he's found. Yeah, but we do, we just know based on like all the things that's happened in the past with the kids going missing that the judge always dances after the deed and that he's naked and stuff so i think that that's what my interpretation was anyway that he was raped before that yeah no i did see some things talking about that definitely 
yeah grand so that is the uh spoiler review section over i suppose one thing we actually never talked about axiomalair uh one thing that we've always touched on but we haven't touched on here at all was the narrator themselves um has anyone anything to anything they want to say about it. the narration you hated it <laughs> yeah it's, it's that style again like it, it's that monotone delivery style that seems to be popular with old, older sort of books and I'm not sure why. It was the same problem that I had with the narrator in um, what was that called? The the, the second book we did, Inferno. Oh, that yeah. was the same kind of style where it's like yeah, monotone delivery and everything. And I don't know. It, it for for me it, it it made it even harder to kind of connect with any of the character the horrible characters in the book because there was no emotion for me behind any of the voices. You know. Um. I don't know. That that's yeah. I didn't like it. Oh, it's fair. It's fair. Michael, how did you feel? Um, I have no strong feelings about the narration. To be honest, I uh, I don't think I don't think the narrator for me contributed it to it being hard to follow. I think that was all uh, McCarthy's prose. Um, I think the narrator did a fine job, but not nothing stellar. I thought it was just kind of middle of the road. Yeah, and uh, Johnny, I can imagine what you're going to say, but uh... <laughs> I loved it. I mean, the the narrator just added to the the overall boringness of this book for me. So yeah, <laughs> not really exciting about it. And don't know if that's his fault or yeah, it's the writing style again, you know. But um, yeah, yeah, John, I think you're the same done. as me. It's that style. Okay, it just doesn't get the doesn't get the, the intrigue. Yeah. You know, it's just kinda I find it interesting to imagine if somebody like Stephen Fry had narrated it though. <laughs> just just to like <laughs> picture that. <laughs> Be awful. Be awful. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, of course, because uh, I forgot about that. No, I liked him in Harry Potter. Just not uh just not the last book. I do book that shall not be named. <laughs> um Right, well, what did you think about the narrator? Oh yeah, I forgot this sort of. I, I would agree; it's quite monotone, it's quite uh, quite flat. But I think there's no emotion in the book, so the narrator themselves can't yeah. can't seem they, they can't like what's the word like? Uh, is it? It's not inflect. Is that the word I'm looking for? Like you know, they can't yeah. really hmm. do anything with their voice to sort of make it more exciting because there's they're not being given anything from the, the yeah, actual writing themselves. Su- I suppose that's true, yeah, but still a killer for me, unfortunately. Uh, unfortunately, the the, the well, it's an audio book review. It's not it's not a book review, and the big yeah, part of it is but, the narration and the, yeah. how the book sounds. I I do think no. that if I if I got a physical copy, I would enjoy it more than than the the audio version. Like I think for one, I would have been able to tune in at all times, which yeah, definitely would have done something. But then. Yeah, like uh, yeah, I think I think a physical copy would have would have been better for me, and I might pick it one up to be honest. There is a even, even copy. The, like, the discussion the discussions that we've been having here have made me more interested in the <laughs> than I ever was with the, the you know the 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 audio version. Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot. I actually find I find research in this book extremely fascinating. Because I think I just love seeing the different i love reading people who love the book i love reading people who hate the book i, I, I really liked hearing both sides 
And I would sort of mirror that point as well. And that actually while preparing to host this episode and while I was sort of reviewing the chapters and, you know, I'd also listen to it all while it was sort of putting it back in place and I could see it in the aims, I could follow the sort of what was happening. It was bringing it more alive to me. Um, I did really enjoy actually, well, as much as you can enjoy preparing for, uh, for this, <laughs> you know, I actually enjoyed it to an extent. Um, um, so yeah, we'll uh, we'll go to the star rate now. So I'm going to go with who I think is going to give the lowest. Uh, Jonathan Cain. <laughs> Fine. Um, <laughs> yeah, like I said, um, I find this apart from the very first few chapters when I think I was tuned in, and because I think the repetitiveness is what kind of got me in the end. So like, whenever I heard it for the first time at the first few chapters, it was all good. And then just lost me, and I think Stephen mentioned the part there about how he he didn't focus for a part, and he tried. I I was at the stage where I wasn't even going to try anymore. I was just just playing it until it was done. Like so, um, <laughs> yeah, it has to be it has to be a one for me. Right. And the narrator performance isn't great either. So, uh, you really gave up in this book, didn't you? Uh, I just I, like Stephen said. I think if I had the hard copy, I would probably enjoy it more. And we'll probably talk about this in the next section, but. I think they did say there's going to be a movie or something, um, and I think this would be, I'd really be interested to watch the movie because um, how are they going to you know do all this goriness on TV like um, so um, that would be interesting. But yeah, I just like as an audiobook, I didn't enjoy it. My, imagine that you hated the audiobook but you loved the movie. Yeah, but I think the reason he hates the audiobook <laughs> is just the format of the audiobook more than anything. No, I know, uh, I know. I just, <laughs> I just uh, it's the, the story. The story is probably good. It's just I uh, the, the actual delivery and the. The writing style and things like that. Um, yeah, no, I, I think that's fair enough, Johnny. Um, so I'll go to Stephen next. Yeah, I mean, same here, really. I, I, I came into this episode expecting to give this a one, right? But I did, like I've mentioned a few times through our discussions, I've, I've come to appreciate it a bit more, and that sort of improves my overall entertainment with the whole thing. Um, so I, I'm going to give it a 1.5. <laughs> <laughs> just bump, bumping up a wee bit. I, I can't justify it too. I, I, I don't think because I really didn't enjoy the, the book. Unfortunately, there was some oh. something like I did like that that, that it was it was super gruesome and that he didn't let up on that. But it was too much. <laughs> and the fact the fact that like there's like so many characters we come across, but there's not you can't connect with any of them. And there was no plot hook to hook me in or anything. It was just there's nothing for me to connect with at all. And, and yeah, and I, I feel like I need that for for a book to to be enjoyable. No, well, that's fair. That's fair. A fiction book, anyway. If it was like a, you know somebody's audio book or something, that's a different. It's a different story. So uh, I'll go to Michael next. Uh, yeah. So I've I have very mixed feelings on the book. Um, I did find. Uh, Cormac McCarthy style hard to follow at times lots of run-on sentences lots of um the, uh, we didn't read the written version but apparently the written version has no um it has no very little punctuation there's no <laughs> speech marks or anything like that I can imagine um yeah so uh I remember I've heard uh Stephen King before talk about like the difference between literary and genre fiction and I think he said um something like genre fiction is ordinary people and extraordinary situations and literary fiction is extraordinary people 
in ordinary situations. But the way I've always differentiated is like literary fiction is um, the main character is not actually the main character. The main character is either the prose or the themes. So I think that I think if you put it under that guise where the theme is the central point of this book, I find it really fascinating. And I find the character of the judge, I think I'm, I've read two people saying that he's like one of the best villains or antagonists or one of the best literary characters. And I definitely will, I'll definitely remember the judge for a long time and it'll be on my head haunting me. Um, so as I said before as well, I can't really rate this on enjoyment because you don't enjoy a book like this. It's about emotional impact, I think, that you rate this on. And what detracted from emotional impact for me was that a lot of the things that happened, a lot of the horrific things were like these faceless characters that I just could not connect with. And I didn't connect with the gang a lot. But I did I did feel this kind of... I, I, I think this exhaustion and this nihilism that McCarthy was get, trying to get across. And I felt, um, I felt very... I feel fascinated by that and I just want to read more about this book and I do want to revisit as well and I've seen it's like a common reaction to reading this book that a lot of people who love this book did not like it the first time they read it but I think I'm gonna go muddle the road and give it three stars here yeah I think that's entirely fair as well um and I will just very quickly sort of mirror that um if anything I would I was probably going to come in and give it like a three because i i did struggle a bit with this um as an audiobook um definitely while i was sort of doing my my sort of research and getting ready and uh, analyzing it a bit more uh it did make me think of it in a different way um so unfortunately for the audiobook i would have wanted to give it higher i really thought i'd be coming into this and giving this like a a high four 4.5 or a five um just based on the room or the road apologies uh but i think i'm going to have to come in at a 3.5 overall um for blood meridian or the evening redness in the west that gives us just for note that gives us a 2.25 average and is that is that right is that the lowest yet or uh... <laughs> uh yeah it's close though yes with thursday murder club i forgot you'll hate a thursday murder club yeah, it's close. Our listeners are going to be so angry at us. <laughs> you, know what, you know what I really did Actually. like that I forgot to mention is the, the chapter summaries. The, not summaries, but like the, the little insert before every chapter. I really like that. I, I wish more books did that. I will do that. We insert as our intro instead of doing a, I, 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 a selection from the episode. I forgot about that, actually. So thank you, Michael. I, I'll, I'll, I'll record something. Ah, happy days. Um... I re- yeah, I really liked it. I wish more. I can't wish more books would do that. I think it was quite common, actually, in like old Western books. I think that's why he sort of did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, there was a name for I think it. Was the, but I can't remember what it is. There was a. There's. It's. It was kind of how I was intrigued by the first chapters because I remember just thinking, well, "What the hell is going on here?" And then one of the ones is like, you know, the one where the dead babies. It's like dead babies on a tree or something. I was like, <laughs> so that that was what kind of intrigued me. But then after that, I think it kind of. It's just lost. It's kind yeah, of impact on me, but because it was something different that I'd never heard, that was what kind of kept me going at the start. I just, I just picture you driving and listening to that chapter summary. <laughs> You're <definitely laughs> just emergency stop and be like, what? What? 
Um, okay, so we'll uh, we'll jump on to comparisons to other media. Has anybody anything they want to chime in with? Or, um, well, I guess westerns. Um, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I've seen. <laughs> I'm not a huge western western guy. No, this is. Um, I feel like this this book itself was a very different take. Like the best comparison I think is um, is obviously the other Cormac McCarthy the factual film that I've seen is No Country for Old Men. I just think yeah. it's just very it's very grim. It's got the same kind of grimness to it, and it's it, I mean the whole thing is basically about you know a boy just going around murdering people. So you know what I mean it's he just he just loves killing Cormac McCarthy. He just it just gets him going like. And a lot of people say about how <laughs> I can't remember what his character is now in the New Country for Old Men, but the uh, the guy with the bull cut. Like a lot of people say Sarah about how, yeah, about how like good of a a villain he is as well. You know, sort of similar to the judge. I suppose that he seems to be quite yeah, good at writing. It's these like they have villains. they have no motive. Yeah, They're like it's it's the the Joker kind of villain where they just have no motive. They just they just cause chaos for chaos, like. Actually, I watched the the scene where he goes onto the the station, isn't it? With the the shot by the flip a coin, flips a coin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's one. Yeah, such a good scene. So, like, yeah, argues with him about flipping it. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. Call it. Both of both of their performances in that scene just top notch. Yeah, it's a good movie. It's been a long time since I've seen it. Actually, I didn't even realize it was Cormac McCarthy when I watched it. So long ago. Um, and we we both read the roads, Jason, and, and we both really like that book, didn't we? Really like the road. Um, yeah, like definitely compared to this, I'm uh, like I was sort of not disappointed, but um, I was expecting to enjoy this audiobook more compared to the road. Yeah, I think I think like I, I think I said that to Jonathan. Where listen, I, I said to him, I, I like the road because there's an emotional core to kind of to go against all this horrific stuff and yeah it, it was too relentless without that yeah but i suppose in this book that's what i was trying to show is that it's just it, that was just what happened you know everybody was just evil <laughs> yeah um i suppose all our comparisons you could probably make someone's going to say it but like read their redemption something like that uh just oh, yeah. i think uh, for the I, I, I said to I think I pointed out to um, Game of Thrones. It reminded me of, uh, especially the sections in um, Clash of Kings and Storm of Swords, where kind of uh, we're taken through like Arya's point of view into the you know the between cities uh, yes, the where people chapter. are just rel- <laughs> <laughs> people are just kind of <laughs> relentlessly murdering every everybody, and there's no rhyme or reason. It kind of reminded me of those those chapters. Um, so let's head on to to trivia then, as I think we sort of touched on a bit of trivia already. I think, um, Johnny, I think you had mentioned about a movie. You want to talk about that anymore? Or, uh, no, I mean, them boys probably have better because I that was them told me it was Stephen. I mentioned at the start, that was a Stephen. Apologies, what mentioned what? Sorry, uh, about the movie, but I don't know if you know much about it. But the not Jason was just asking, no, I think it was Michael. Oh, right, well. Someone mentioned it. <laughs> that I. <laughs> oh well. Someone gets some trouble quick. <laughs> um, There's a yeah. Uh, this this uh, book has been 
there's been numerous times when this book has been picked up to being to being made into a movie adaption but if you if you have read this book or listened to it with us you'll know that why that is extremely hard it's just it's not kind of it's not what you would see in a movie very typically uh but apparently it has been it has been there are looking to adapt it now even this year it's been talked about so yeah, it's quite recently i think i read the interest april 2023 wasn't it um that i mean it would be interesting to see if that comes to fruition i would definitely be i would definitely check it out if it does ever come out and was it a tv show or a movie that's a movie yeah he's right i'm nearly sure it was a movie yeah. yeah they did i mean there's been other examples of things that they said were unadaptable that were made into things um game of thrones again as an example of that george R. R. martin always said game of thrones was unadaptable i think that's more to do with scale though and then yeah. Um, I think so the, another thing to point out about the the movie thing is that like uh, studios probably don't want to make it because it doesn't really follow the three act sort of structure that's typical for for movies, right? It definitely does not. So, no, so, it yeah, does not follow the. It's gonna, it definitely does not follow the three act structure. So it's going to it's going to be a just looking for <laughs> for a lot of folks. It's the boy that they're planning. They directed as he actually did the road. Yeah, I was going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> Right, I didn't uh, realize it was Viggo Mortensen was the main actor. Not oh yeah, I'm definitely watching it. Apparently, it's I've very actually impressive. never seen the movie. No, you're by. No. Meant to after read I've the book. Never seen Viggo Mortensen and anything else. So, <laughs> Lord of the Rings. So when I do, I do, uh... does he break his toe in this? In this <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, any any other trivia from anyone else? I don't know if it's really trivia, but I, every time I look at his Wikipedia, Cormac, Cormac McCarthy's Wikipedia page, all I see is Lalo from Better Call Saul. Looking back at me. Go look at his Wait, we're right on now. the topic of, Go of look best right ever now. villains. Go look at uh, right now. And tell me, <laughs> tell me he doesn't look like Lalo. Lalo? Cormac McCarthy? Yeah. No, and just in his like Wikipedia Lalo. picture. Oh, oh my god, Dolls, you're right. The moustache. Hello, Hector. He had a mustache and the shirt that he's wearing. Oh, uh, Jesus! Aye, speaking of, it looks like him. It looks, it looks, it's everything. Speaking of uh, amazing films, you're right, Michael. Yeah, uh, one of yeah. my favorite. Oh my god, so good. Aye, um, but we'll we'll save that for the Better Call Saul Breaking Bad podcast. We do. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyone else? Uh, Consuming anything good at the moment? Um, Baldur's Gate three, and that's it. Nothing else. That's just consumed my life for weeks now. How many? How many hours have you put in? It's it's hard to say. Let me see. Because I've uh, save scummed a few times, a good few times. So um, you can check your Steam. Yeah, Steam playtime. Yeah, Yeah, that's that's from. uh, I check your playtime. I think it's about sixty hours or something. And I'm not even. I'm Jesus. like not even halfway. It's, it's it's great. Two weeks old, isn't it? But see, that's all. Your, that's the more or less your all waking hours. Like. That's the other thing, though, because I played it when it was in like just you know they were released in early access and they would like oh, yeah. release some patches. I played it, uh, at least at the, the first patch anyway for a good bit. So yeah, forty three hours in the last two weeks. Oh my god. Now I will never play it because it's cool and I only like to get to things first and then brag about it. 
No, Michael, you, you, uh, you, you bought Elden Ring out of the gate, like, so. Yeah. And that was cool, and you liked to brag about it. It was so. cool, and everybody liked it. <laughs> Never finished well, that What game. you do there, Michael, is you, you get it years later, when everyone's no, no one's no longer talking about it, and then you bring it back into its coolness. Ah, uh, yeah. Nah, that's that's, that's what I do, but... <laughs> like it, it's it's just incredible, uh, Michael. Retro games, <laughs> Ring retro cast. games. Like it's just it's just incredible. There's Ring so cast. much like variety that happens through it. You know, as you play it, and like I said, I've saved scummed a few times, which for the uninitiated means that you've reloaded when something bad has happened, which is is kind of goes against the, the the idea of the game, where you're you're supposed to just level with it, right? But uh, you know. So uh, a few times I've like reloaded and and things have gone completely different to the way that happened the first time and it's 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 just crazy. Just as a, as a dice standard, player, I, ha- I I have no idea what you're talking uh, about. Hi, uh, right, Michael. Anytime we lose a chance, we take final. Restart. Yeah, I've been reading oh, a lot of and, recently. And Lightbringer as well, the new book in the Red Rising series, that was taking up my time for a good chunk of this. That's why it took me so long to finish this book. Because yeah. <laughs> that was released just as we were starting. To, we, we had just started listening to it, uh, Blood Meridian. So, I mean, it was it was fantastic again from Pierce Brown. Um, definitely recommend all the Red Rising books. Yeah, they're fantastic books. And I suppose I'll just jump in here. I'm... Currently about halfway through Lightbringer. Um, and yeah, really enjoying it. And apart from that... Uh, so it's a recommendation, new cards. It's, it, they're quite I told you, I told you before, Michael, I don't want to because I only want to recommend books that I've um, not done before. Yeah, I'm the same boat. I don't really want to re- reread things. Except I, I'm except that I do one one week is something that I haven't read that I want to read want to read and then the next time it's something that I have read that I want you guys to read. Mines are all rereads and I just want you to validate my great taste. Ah, fair. See, <laughs> that's my belief because you've read almost everything. Like there's, <laughs> there's not much extra for you to read. Well, look, he had, but he had not read Wikipedia. Uh, that's the thing. Yep. There's True. been a few. Aye, there's been a few. You guys have done that I haven't haven't had before. Sir Stevens. More or less all Stevens, apart from Thursday Murder Club, but being ones that I don't even hear about. <laughs> That's, That's good. Saying. I, I like to go, I like to go obscure. I don't think I've I've right. read any of Stevens before. Before we did this, Thursday Murder Club didn't Stephen do it. Oh, well, you haven't read that, have you? Know? No, that was the first time. That was me. That was me. Okay. Oh, was that you? Nah. Um. Oh, how was it you? You didn't. Uh... Oh no, you had read it. Sorry, I thought you meant you were the one who recommended it. No, I had read the trilogy. Sorry, yeah, that's what I meant. Alright, uh, uh, getty, getty. Um, I I finally picked up is it Star Wars Fallen Order, the second, their most recent Star Wars game. Anyways, I sort of stopped playing that once Zelda came out, uh, but I've picked it back up again, and it's it's class. Have they patched it? Because I know there was a lot of issues with that when well, it came out. Issues on PC, I think. Uh, PS Five. God, console it was all fine. <laughs> I've just been playing a bit of Apex and getting absolutely smoked online. It's a good crack. By ten-year-olds. <laughs> and they're all ruining me. Yeah, my thumbs are gone. <laughs> kind of shoot. Thumbs are gone. <laughs> Don't have the thumbs for it anymore. No, I've wrecked them doing physio. <laughs> for the controllers. Um, I just, just can't can't do FPSs anymore. Or battle royales. Terrible at it. 
So you're just talking about um, Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. So I have mentioned this before. I've been going through IMDb's top 250 TV shows. And currently top of that list is Breaking Bad. So I have started re-watching Breaking Bad. Oh, absolutely awesome again I mean I think I've only watched the last season once like when it first came out I've seen the other seasons a couple of times because like rewatching for the new seasons and stuff but I think I've only seen the last season once so I'm um, looking forward to getting there but I, I think you just you just appreciate Breaking Bad more in the, the first few seasons like than you do the first time you watch it Definitely. just because you, you just know about the setup and like you, you appreciate the change with Walter Those... more I do agree with the popular sentiment where it gets better as it goes, but those first seasons are underrated. Yeah, I, uh, although I would say the first season is a bit of a slow burner, especially oh, on a rewatch. I find the first season so good. Still, I would. Yeah. I'm not saying it's not good. I'm just saying it's a bit slow. Yeah, but I would just like, I, still I, say I like, like how also. it's like. Yeah, like how he change changes so quickly. Like I think the, the episode I just watched there most recently was the one you know with the boy, um, is driving the like nice sports car and he's a pure dickhead and he's like on the phone and all and doesn't give a shit about anyone else and then uh, Walter blows up his car no oh, way I think like it's just like he's just kind of like gone from because he's dying like he's just gone from uh, you know being this pure I don't know what the way basically a nobody like they've been now I just don't give a fuck I'm gonna mess shit up like yeah um, what was so. the like um Vance Gilligan's pitch for it was like Ned Flanders becomes Tony Montana or something like that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not not a bad. Um, it's a good pitch. Comparison, I guess. I guess I'll call like he's you know. Um, I think like you know he's obviously jealous of his the people you know that are, are rich now as friends that he could have been part of. And I think all that anger is just like getting released all at one go, just because yeah. he can now. Like. Um, what else am I doing? Oh, um, so I mentioned before I was doing about a garden. Um, so I've been growing a few plants. And I just made, I just been harvesting my first tomatoes and just made a tomato soup today, and it was the best tomato soup I've ever had. In my life. <laughs> nice. I don't, I don't know if that's because it's you know the all it's what, by three months I've been growing it, and it's just all the the hard work like, or is it just because you know the tomatoes are just luxury right off the the bush like, so they're as fresh as they can be. Yeah. But um, yeah, definitely. Hopefully next year get them more, more growing different mad things like so. But uh, obviously, it's coming on the winter now. So uh, I was going to say, you're not moving house as well. I'm also moving house, trying to move house, but we're having a bit of difficulty actually finding um, a new house. Yeah. So criminal. Um, yeah, that, that continues. Uh, I think just grow one, grow back to loving it. <laughs> just one big tomato grow a tree, and then build a tree house out. But that might probably take longer. <laughs> The satisfaction, but um, this is true. Think of how juicy that tree house would be. <laughs> God. Uh, yeah, I think it's. I've been doing. I've just started a new job. Um, last month, I'm kind of just doing a lot of stuff for it. Um, because I'm not actually on the project. It's all the background stuff has to go through, and also just kind of been doing my own stuff. Um, so just kind of doing a lot of work on my YouTube videos and things like that, but. Yeah, that's, that's about it. Like. How it is. Uh, Michael, I'm assuming you've been up to loads, as usual. Uh, I actually haven't really watched anything, to be honest, but i um, been listening to a few audiobooks. I've uh, listened to Strange Weather by Joe Hill, 
that's Stephen King's son. It's really, it's a just a collection of novellas. It's pretty good. Um, I've been working on my podcast, The Dark Tales. I did, I released a mini episode there last night called Dinner Date. Um, working on a few more minisodes. The next one should come out in a couple of weeks. Uh, called it's well I, I don't know if i can call it this because i need to look more into copyright i was going to call it fireman sam but uh i might need to call it smiler also i'll check the copyright because if i ever monetize i don't know if i'm allowed to call it fireman sam call it fireman samuel <laughs> <laughs> and uh the, the third episode the third money so then uh which will come out a couple of weeks after that is called fall, fall in love or die and uh, then I'm going to work on a few more uh, miniature episodes after that. Fall in love or die sounds like a James Bond movie. It <laughs> does. You're right. Just What's, can I ask what's the um, dinner one based on? You know, you say you always base it on something in your life. The dinner date is completely fictional. That's based on nothing. A sort of, I'm sort of poking fun at myself a bit. The, there's a character. It's just it's a, it's a tender date. And the character is sort of based on like bro culture, but I'm also making fun of myself at parts in it as well. It's a uh, yeah, it's it's kind of, but it's, I wouldn't really say it's based on anything. Just before I forget, because I always forget about audiobooks that I'm listening to. I just um, while we were waiting to like record this episode, I was kind of in a weird spot where I didn't have anything to listen to. So I picked up a completely random uh, Jeanette McCurdy's audiobook. If you know who she is, she was. Um, oh, I was love the kid. Kill the mum one. I Carly. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad my mum died. It's called. Uh, yeah. It's so. It's actually. It's so sad the things that happened to her, but it's actually a really good listen. It's a great audiobook. It's actually really good. Yeah, I was surprised. I, I was completely out of nowhere. I think I saw an article about something in the book, and I was like, "Oh, that sounds interesting." So then picked it up and loved it. And her her reading of it is so good as well. She yeah, yeah it's great. It's so grim though. I used to watch about I Carly myself back in the day, you know. <laughs> so actually, I, I've actually been thinking about recommending that one because it would be so out there for us to do. But yeah, it, like it, it's definitely worth a listen. I, I was I was yeah. pleasantly surprised with how good it was. Um, Heard good things. And then I think the we missed one? the boat on it. If we had have done it last year, if we had have done it when we started the podcast. That was the height of its of, yeah. of its buzz. Well, we have to wait now a few months and or a few years, and then it becomes a classic, and then we can do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think she is a few, she's like a, got a free book deal or something with whoever the publisher was. So I think I'm, I'm keen to see the next one that she puts out and what that's going to be about. Hmm. Um, but then the other one that I got was uh, it was a recommendation from Michael. Actually, it was uh, "Will Save the Galaxy for Food." Which he recommended oh, yeah. a few times to me on this podcast, I think, and I, I, I really enjoyed that as well. It's it's kind of in that sort of hitchhikers uh, sphere where it sort of pokes fun at science yeah. fiction, but it's actually it manages to be really good science fiction at the same time. Jason would love it, and I, I, I just Jason would love it. <laughs> Quite, quietly booed as Stephen was speaking there, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 it's not one that I would recommend here because I know Jason would hate it, and I don't want to put him through that. <laughs> <laughs> not not time soon anyways no um yeah um so that's that's been what we've been consuming i mean i think michael's already sort of plugged a bit but has anyone else got anything they want to plug or 
just the usual YouTube channel about the programming videos. Still working away on it. So uh, I've got nothing. Uh, I just wanted to plug our our general. Uh, we haven't done it in ages, but just just so people know that we we do have our email. We all have access to it. We will look at it if anybody ever wants to send us on anything, and we will. I uh, can see our, our listener. Our listener numbers are starting to slowly uptick, so hopefully we do get something on there. But I can't. I cannot say that we've been looking at the Twitter because I don't know what is going on with X or Twitter. Or you whatever. can't call it, it Twitter is. anymore. I'm, I'm sorry. The can. I'll cut that out. Can't believe you dead name X. <laughs> God damn. And uh, I have actually looked. I was looking uh, today at some of the requests, and there are there are a few in there that uh, have interested me. There's one in particular that's really interested me. Yeah, I always say, I always say, uh, for to Jonathan and Stephen, if anybody says, "Oh, you should do this book," just take that as an official request. So, if anybody ever says that to you, Jason, you know, make sure to add it. Add it because in. anytime I mention, yeah, anytime you mention, "Oh, I do this podcast," people probably will recommend the book that you should do. Yeah, well, the 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 top one in the request is uh, something I've always wanted to listen to. So. Oh, that's the one I don't want to do ever. I've it's only because I've I've heard things too, but I've I've listened to the others, and what in fact one of them is one of my favorite books. Um, it's the second one, is it? And Andy Circus, Cir- Andy Circus, that uh, it's the, it's the prequel. Uh, exactly, that's why I'm interested. I would I, I would prefer if around. we did all other four books first before doing that. Book. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, well, we've sort of given it away a bit, but yes, <laughs> I'd be interested. Um, so I think I think that might be me in terms of uh hosting this episode um thank you it's been blum ridden i'm going to pass over now to whoever is giving our next michael. pick you did michael. you did great by the way just 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 throwing that out. yeah good job jason yeah. good job thank you <laughs> it's tough hosting so i am going to do the opposite of what steven does where he said that he usually goes for an obscure book this book is extremely well known it is it's okay prominent. michael because your recommendations are always good so come at me <laughs> It is very prominent in pop culture. Um, it is one of the most popular books ever by a bestseller list. It's one of the most popular movies ever. It is a the horror Bible. book. It is a horror book. Is it The Shining? I have, it is The Shining. And I have said <laughs> numerous times that I'm a huge fan of Stephen King and I've yet to recommend the Stephen King book. So I said, I have to recommend at least one before we had our, our year. So the book that I think is a good entry to Stephen King, I think, is The Shining. So this book, there's a Simpsons episode about it. There's there's a lot of, uh, I think, uh, Ready Player One has seen that yeah, uh, allude to this. So you probably, like. even if you have not read this or seen the movies, you probably know something about this book. So I don't know if we can do the guesses. Here's Johnny. But I'll go around you anyway. Do you guys know anything about The Shining, either the book or the movie? Well, I've not read or seen either, so. But yeah, I have a rough idea. Yeah, I'm the same. I've not read or seen either, but I'm pretty sure I know the plot. <laughs> like, somehow, like the complete plot. Maybe not what about my guess. And their details and stuff, but yeah, I could, I could probably give you a good overview of the, the whole thing. What about you, Jonathan? Do you know anything? Uh, my guess is that it's about this guy called Johnny, and he like runs about now and announces that he's here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
as, as I know about it's as a set in a hotel, some weird hotel. Or is that just part? Is that, am, I, am, I, am I wrong? No, you're, you're Can, right, confirm yeah. it. You're spot on. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> That's right. I, I won't say anymore because I do know bits and pieces. I, I don't know how it ends or anything, but I, I know bits do you and think, pieces. Do you want to play the guessing game and see who gets the closest to what it's about? Cause... Play the guess game purely because I have <laughs> okay. not yet got to play it. I suppose. Okay, okay yeah. Need to get who, who, thinks, who do you think knows the most? Then I think I don't. Is it fair? Is it well, I was, the most I was, fair to go with the person? I, who I know the least. I'd say I was talking so, Jonathan, about you there, go so, last then. So okay, I think S- Stephen, you go first then. <laughs> Hello, everyone. This is Michael from the future editing this episode. At this point in the episode, Stephen basically guesses the entire plot of The Shining word for word. So I thought it was best to remove this part just in case any of the listeners have not seen or read The Shining yet. So if you're wondering what Stephen guessed, it was just the exact plot. That was uh, quite, a good, quite a good guess. And there, then, yeah, and as Johnny said, he kind of, the main guy kind of runs around and he announces, Look, I am here. It's me, John. Uh, friendly axe salesman. Yeah. Look how effective these axes are. Just um, I think that's an like to go next. Well, I think Stephen's done a pretty good job. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't aware uh, as to why it was called the Shane um, or why about this child having superpowers. I was aware that there's a sequel with at least the sequel. Well, the sequel of the book, the movie has Hugh McGregor called Doctor Sleep. Um, yeah, I think potentially maybe he wants the children from the Shane. The movie um, is so underrated. But uh, yeah, all I really knew was that it was like a, a family travel to his hotel uh, I think yeah it was maybe the, the writer dad so he could get like some isolation to do his book or something like that and then this hotel is like haunted and he slowly goes mad or else he gets possessed potentially um, and yeah see if that's the kicker they, uh, they mirror Stephen like these yeah the children like seeing these like twins on on uh, like tricycles and there's like holes of blood and whatnot. I think there's a maze at some stage um, but yeah that's that's me, Johnny. Like I've said before, there's, there's a guy who runs about announcing himself as Johnny. <laughs> um, that's pretty much it. Like he just he just runs about with an axe and just fucking that's, that's smashes on doors. And this is it. The whole book. This is a fifteen hour like, audiobook, so he he does that for fifteen hours. <laughs> like a, it's set in a hotel where there are a lot of doors, so he goes round all the doors <laughs> and he ha- smashes them all and tells them that he's here. And then, so that's pretty much how it ends. One one connection of this book to uh, another book that we've done, which isn't actually a connection of the book, but the connection of the movies. Uh, Stanley Kubrick also directed 2001 A Space Odyssey, and he directed The, the Shining. So no, we've never done like movies as recommended viewing, but I would definitely recommend checking out the movie if you guys do have time as well, because um, I think that the different they're both considered masterpieces but there yet there's differences and there's arguments about the differences so I think that would be interesting to get into but if you don't I'll definitely touch on it anyway yeah, no, it's and a of good course uh, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy isn't that the, <laughs> isn't that the thing I can neither confirm nor deny <laughs> <laughs> um well, yeah, so, is, that, is that us? Yeah, that's us. So, uh, hey, 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 narrate that, Michael.
Yep. Next episode, we will be doing The Shining, written by Stephen King, and that's narrated by Campbell Scott. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Later. Later.